Well, as Kate mentioned, we are back after a couple of weeks of vacation with uh, Kate's mom and dad and sisters in California. It is good to be back. Uh, we miss Pinewoods Church. That's uh, the thing that we really miss more than anything else is seeing you all on Sunday mornings. Um, it's fun to watch it online, but it's, it's uh, nice to be uh, in person. So we're glad to be back. Let's give our attention to the reading of, of God's Word, John 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 44. It's a little bit of a longer passage, so if you don't normally read along, today might be a good day to do that. Uh, this is the story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus. This is God's Word. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus was already, had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went, to, went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with, him, with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. O Lord, our God, the mighty God who called Lazarus out from the grave. We ask that you would do a mighty work of resurrection in our hearts as we study your word. I pray, Lord, that you would be near to us by your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would speak and that we would hear with the ears of faith. Oh, Lord God, change our lives and make us new. For we pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Amen. In the Basilica of Santa Croce in Italy, you'll find the famous graves of Michelangelo, Dante, Galileo, and Machiavelli, towering figures of the Italian Renaissance. Among those famous graves, you'll also find a relatively anonymous gravestone that reads this, I lived in God, I rest in hope, I will rise again. In love everlasting. If you ever find yourself in Elizabeth, New Jersey, a little bit closer to home, you'll find the graves of many uh, Christian people buried in small, nondescript cemetery behind the first Presbyterian church. One inscription reads In memory of Luke T. Higgins, who died February 28, 1818 aged 25 years, one month, and four days. Friends and physicians could not save his mortal body from the grave, nor can the grave confine him here. 
when Christ shall call him to appear. Isn't that great? Here's another one. I'll try not to get teary-eyed for this one. In memory of Hugh McBride Britton, son of Henry M. and Eliza Ann Britton, who died May 6, 1827, aged one year, seven months, and six days. Beneath this stone, an infant lies, to earth its ashes lent, who shall again more glorious rise, but not more innocent, when the archangel's trump shall sound, and souls to bodies join, thousands on earth shall wish their lives had been as short as thine. Now, contrast that with, with what you will find in Hollywood, California, at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. There you'll find the gravestone of Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc was a voice actor famous for voicing famous cartoon characters like Porky Pig, Daffy Duck, Bugs Bunny, Yosemite Sam, and the great Foghorn Leghorn. He died in 1989. His headstone is engraved with the last words that he made famous. That's all, folks. It's a striking contrast, isn't it? For many people, death is just the end. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, rest in peace. That's all, folks. For others, death is just the beginning of life. When I die, I want my gravestone to include my name, all my PIN numbers, because uh, at that point, who cares? And three, these three words... I shall rise. That simple, beautiful inscription was written on the tombstones of many of the earliest Christians because they wanted to know that, they wanted everyone to know that death is not the end of our story. Yes, we will die. That is the reality of living in a fallen world. But we will not stay dead. Someday, we will come walking out of the grave and hear something like Lazarus heard when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. The question is, how do we know that's true? How do we know what awaits us when we die? In a world where many people face death with fear and trembling, is it possible to face death with confidence and hope. And what difference does that make right here and right now? How would you live differently right now if your gravestone read, just visiting? In order to answer some of these questions, we turn our attention to the story of Jesus, two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother, Lazarus, who was dead and gone until Jesus brought him back to life. It's a great story. If you grew up going, growing to Sunday school, you might recognize that this story includes every Christian kid's favorite Bible verse. Verse 35, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the whole Bible. 
If you grew up reading this story in the King James Version of the Bible, which I did, you might recognize one of my favorite King James verses, verse 39, Lord, by this time he stinketh. (laughs) That's what happens when you die. After four days, you start to stinketh. But there's so much more than that. In this story, we read the bad news that Lazarus has died before getting to the good news that death never gets the final word. This story shows us that Jesus came to reverse the curse. Jesus didn't come to make bad people into good people or good people into better people. He came to make dead people into alive people. Which is why the gospel is good news and not good advice. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to turn the world upside down. He came to defeat the final enemy. He came to make all things, all people, including you, new. To take everything that was decayed and destroyed and dying and to breathe into it the breath of life. How does that happen? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. Here's where we're going with this sermon. First, we're going to talk about the reality of death. Lazarus died. And unless Jesus comes back before you die, you're going to die too. We're all going to die. That is the bad news. The question is, are you ready to die? Are you ready to see God face to face? Or are you in denial of death? Are you living as if you're going to live forever? Why is that a bad way to live? We'll see. Second, we're going to talk about the reversal of death. We believe that when Christians die, we go to heaven to be with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today, you will be with me in paradise. The question is, Do Christians stay in heaven forever, or is there something more? And if there is something more, which I think we'll see, the question is, what difference does that make? What difference does it make on Monday morning when you go to work? What difference does it make in your marriage or your dating relationships? What difference does it make at school? How does the resurrection change our perspective on everything? And then, finally, we're going to talk about the response that brings life. If the resurrection really does change everything, and I'll argue that it does, the question is, how does resurrection power come into your life? Is there something that you need to do? Or is there something that you need to believe in order to appropriate the power of the resurrection on this side of the grave? All right, that's, the, that's our game plan here. We've got the reality of death, the reversal of death, and then finally the response that brings life. Let's take a closer look. We begin with the bad news, which is the reality of death. Now, it has been said that there are two certainties in life, which are death and taxes. And the only way to get an extension in both cases is to say a prayer that uh, God would be merciful to you. Even though death is a certainty, it's almost a cliche that many of us are, have a hard time dealing with death. We're, we're in denial about the whole thing. 
when it comes to death, you can tell by the words that we use to speak about death that it makes us very, very uncomfortable. Many of us don't like to use the word death even in the context of, of funeral services. Instead, we say things like, Mr. Jones passed away. Or we say that uh, Mrs. Smith is no longer with us. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who was about to do a funeral, and he referred to the person who had died as having expired. And so we say things like, well, what happened to Grandma? She's no longer with us. She expired. But here's the interesting thing. Where we use euphemisms to talk about death, the Bible uses analogies to talk about death, analogies that paint death in an almost entirely negative light. In Psalm 88, the sons of Korah said that death is like a pit. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul says that death is like an enemy. According to Martha, in verse 39 of our text, death has an odor. It has a stench. It stinketh. That's why in the ancient world, people used to wrap bodies in uh, shrouds and spices and linens in order to cover the stench of death. According to the Bible, death is not pretty. It's ugly. It's not a friend. It's an enemy. It's not natural. It is unnatural. It's not part of creation. It's part of the fall. In other words, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, if Eve had not taken the forbidden fruit and given it to Adam, had they not rebelled against God, they would have lived forever with God in the Garden of Eden and eventually have eaten the tree of life and have lived forever. That's why when Jesus, who described himself as the resurrection and the life, the great I am, the eternally existing, ever-living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when he spoke about death, it is clear that Jesus hated death. Verse 33 when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. When John tells us that Jesus wept, he doesn't mean that Jesus shed a few quiet tears in the corner. It doesn't mean that Jesus' upper lip quivered a bit and he tried to calm himself. It means that he cried out in agony. He wept the way ancient Near Eastern people weep, the way many ancient Near, Near Eastern people still weep today with loud shouts of pain and anguish. Even though he knew that he was about to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead, he was overcome by grief and deeply moved, greatly troubled by his death. And so when someone tells you that death is natural, don't believe it. When someone tells you all we are is dust in the wind, don't believe it. When someone tells you that we're just drops of water returning to an endless ocean, don't believe it. Death is ugly. Death is inevitable. Verse 14, Jesus 
told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Someday, if you outlive me, and I hope you do, you're going to hear someone say, Pastor Joel has died. We're all going to die. The question is, are you ready to meet your maker? Are you ready to see the face of God? And when you do, what will you say? Will you say, I am a good person? Or will you say, I am a sinner who has been saved by God's grace? I don't deserve to have everlasting life and joy and peace with you on my own, but I have been bought with a price, the price being the precious blood of Jesus who shed his blood on the cross so that the author and giver of life might give me life out of death. Those are the only two options. The question is, if you have not settled that in your mind, that you must do it today. Do it right now. Many of you are surely thinking what I've thought for many, many years, and this is my confession to you. For many, many years, I thought to myself, I'll live how I want to live now as a young person. I'll do whatever I want to do. And then when I get older, and it looks like death is just around the corner, I'll get right with God, I'll clean up my act, I'll repent of my sins, and I'll slide into heaven just at the 11th hour, at the last possible minute after I've done everything that I've wanted to do. Anyone else thought that? Just me? Maybe you should be preaching. That's a bad plan. It's a bad plan because we never know when God is going to call us home. Lazarus didn't know. If you read this story, it seems like this was a shocking death for um, both Mary and Martha. No one expected for Lazarus to die, and yet it happened. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. The question is, are you ready? Have your sins been forgiven? Are you trusting in Jesus to give you the gift of everlasting life. Now, after all that bad news about death, I have some good news for you. The good news is that death is not the end of the story. In the Christian story, death never gets the last word. In the Christian story, life wins because Jesus wins. The Christian story is about the reversal of death. That's our second point, point two. First is the reality of death. We're all going to die. We have to be ready. And now we'll talk about the reversal of death. Verse 25, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What is Jesus saying? Well, I think he's telling us at least two things about the resurrection. The first thing is that he's saying is that we will rise from the dead on the last day when Jesus comes again. In other words, the resurrection is a future reality. When we die, we don't simply go to sleep. We don't simply cease to exist. 
We don't simply disappear. When we die, believers in Christ go to heaven, and unbelievers, those who have rejected Christ, will go to hell. But even then, we won't stay there forever as disembodied spirits. Someday, on the last day, when Jesus returns, we will rise again physically from the dead. All of us will hear some version of what Lazarus heard in verse 43. Lazarus, come out. If you are a Christian, when you die, your soul will go immediately to heaven. You will immediately be with the Lord. You'll be with your Christian friends. You'll be with your Christian family members. Kathy Diamond is in heaven waiting for us right now. Very much awake, very much aware. Others we've lost recently, Mace Thomas, will be waiting there in heaven for us, no longer confined to a wheelchair, no longer paralyzed, no longer a quadriplegic. She's there now, waiting for us. Harry Dutry, our friend, is up in heaven, waiting for us right now. And when we join them in death, we will be aware of what's happening, we will be awake, and it will be amazing. Jesus called heaven paradise. He said heaven will have many rooms or many mansions. If you read the book of Revelation, it is abundantly clear that all of the, the Christians who are in heaven waiting for us, waiting for the resurrection, are in heaven glorifying God and enjoying Him forever because in heaven we will be fully and finally forgiven. In heaven, all of our sins will be washed away. Jesus having paid it all by dying on the cross in our place, will receive us as his adopted sons and daughters, orphaned children, chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. But in heaven, as heaven, as great as it's going to be, heaven is not our final destination. Heaven is like a hub city. It's like Houston or Dallas or Atlanta. When we die and go to heaven, it's a lot like going to Denver. We're landing there, but only to change planes. There's still one more place to go until we reach our final destination. As great as heaven is, there is something even greater for those who believe. On the last day, dead people will come back to life. What does that mean? I have so many questions about the resurrection. Maybe you do too. Uh, will we be young at the resurrection? Will we be old at the resurrection? Will we get to choose our age at the resurrection? Will we be able to teleport at the resurrection? Will we be able to fly at the resurrection? I wish I knew. People apparently asked the Apostle Paul many of these questions, and he grew a little bit tired of it and just said, it's going to be different. Stop asking me questions, okay? So I'll heed his advice. Based on what happened when Jesus rose again, the Bible seems to be teaching us that in the resurrection, we'll be both recognizable and not recognizable at the same time. 
We see this when Jesus rose from the dead, he encountered Mary and the women who met him at the tomb, Every, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, everyone who encountered Jesus after he rose again from the dead, at first couldn't recognize him, but then when he said, it's me, they immediately recognized him. They knew, aha, it's him. One of my old pastors, Tim Keller, who's in heaven right now, used to say that it's like seeing someone that you knew as a child as an adult, after many years of not seeing that person. So you meet someone and they say, it's me, it's Kyle from third grade. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, it is you. See, at first I didn't recognize you because all I knew was the eight-year-old version of you. But then you said, it's me, and all of a sudden you morphed into the 28-year-old version of Kyle. And I didn't see it before, and now I see it clearly. Of course, when we rise from the dead... Our souls will be reunited with this new, old, same but different. Joel is still Joel, but somehow much better looking uh, <laughs> bodies. And we will live forever with Jesus. And every other Christian who's ever lived on a new resurrected earth, which we can only assume will also be the same and yet different at the same time. There's the beach, and yet somehow the sand is whiter and softer. And there's the ocean, and yet somehow the water is much more beautiful than it's ever been before. And there's Mount Everest, so glorious, and yet so much more glorious than I ever knew. And there are children walking up and down the mountain like they're climbing the steps at a playground. And all things have been made new. The lions in the new creation will lie down with the lambs. And fire ants shall be no more. <laughs> you know, they got me again this week after I got back. My hand was like a, like a catcher's mitt. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Unlike many religions, the goal of Christianity isn't escaping the body. It is the redemption of the body. We are not waiting for the destruction of life as we know it. We are waiting for the resurrection of life as we know it. That was Martha's hope for her brother. Verse 24, Martha said to Jesus, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. Here's another really cool thing about the resurrection, something that Jesus hints at when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's not only the resurrection, which is something that we will experience someday on the last day. He is the life, which is something that we can experience right here and right now. In other words, everlasting life isn't entirely a future reality. It is a present reality for everyone who believes. The moment that you believe in Jesus, the power of the resurrection comes into your life and you begin to grow. You begin to change. You become a new person who looks both different and the same at the same time. When resurrection power comes into your life, you become more confident. When resurrection power comes into your life, 
you are reminded that you have been forgiven. Our infinite debt to an infinite God has been fully paid, and we are now, because of Jesus and the power of the resurrection, spiritually debt-free. When you are right with God, you can walk with your shoulders back and your head held high. And all the little things that seem to bother you so much in life, all the little things that you were anchoring your life around, money and power and relationships and uh, success and popularity, all those things stop mattering as much as you thought they did before Jesus. When you're right with God, you can say with the Apostle Paul, nothing at all can separate me from the love of God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of Jesus, I have nothing to earn, I have nothing to lose, and I have nothing to prove. That is confidence. That is the power of the resurrection. When resurrection power comes into your life, you also become more humble. The only people who need to be resurrected are dead people. Dead people are totally helpless, totally lifeless. They are literally inert. They cannot move. The resurrection is a reminder that before Jesus, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1, that is a very humbling thing to grapple with. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would choose to know my name? I'm nothing without him. I'm everything because of him. When you believe that, you become willing to help and to serve and to give and to go. And you begin to say, give me the lowliest job. Give me the job that no one else wants to do. And if I get zero credit for it, if zero people know who I am for doing this, God will still know. God will still know my name, and I will still have infinite value and infinite worth because of what Jesus has done for me. He must increase. I must decrease. That's humility. That's the power of the resurrection. Next one, when resurrection power comes into your life, you become more joyful. The resurrection produces supernatural joy. How do you think Mary, Martha, and Lazarus responded to the resurrection? Neat. You know, we should probably send Jesus a a, a thoughtfully worded thank you card uh, for this. He really was, uh, he really did go above and beyond here. You think? I think they were probably freaking out. I think that they were probably so overcome with joy that they were laughing and singing and shouting because of the joy of life. Now, think about what God has done for you. He has done something even better than what he did for Lazarus. Lazarus was physically dead. We were spiritually dead. Lazarus was Jesus' friend. We were his enemies. And yet, he gave us everlasting life. He said, come forth into the fullness of my joy. Amazing grace. When resurrection power comes into your life, you become more obedient. Fighting sin in your own power, in your own strength, is not easy. In fact, 
I will say it is nigh on impossible to live the Christian life in your own strength. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that's Ephesians chapter 1, we get a new source of strength. Suddenly, we begin to hate the sins that we used to love and cherish because we know that keeping the sin in our lives and cherishing it is keeping us from experiencing on, a, on an existential, experiential level the fullness of God's love for us as his people. When resurrection power comes into our lives, we, we begin to grow and change. We are being made new. When resurrection power comes into your life, you become more evangelistic. Can you imagine Mary, Martha, and Lazarus not telling people what Jesus had done for them? Can you imagine them saying, you know, we better keep this to ourselves. Uh, this is maybe not something that we should bring up in polite company. How can we keep our resurrection to ourselves? How can we not tell the world what Jesus has done for us about his infinite love, his infinite grace, and the power of the resurrection which changes stone cold dead? I was totally dead in the grave, stone cold dead, four days in. I stinketh. And here God came and brought me back to life. That's who he is. And he can do the same for you. That's evangelism. That's telling the good news of what Jesus did. And then telling the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Do you have that in your life? Do you have that confidence? Do you have that hope? Do you have that power? How do you get it? That's where we're going next. Third thing, last thing, the response that brings life. Verse 26 ends with a very pointed question. Jesus looked at Martha straight in the eye and said, Do you believe this? Here's what she said. One of the greatest confessions of faith in the entire scripture. Verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The power of the resurrection comes into your life the moment you believe. Not when you give, though generosity is important. Not when you obey, though obedience is important. Resurrection life starts with faith in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. So the question that Jesus asked is my question for you. It's a simple question, and yet it's a profound question, one that we have all wrestled with for millennia. Do you believe this? Are you willing to say, Jesus, I, was I am and was dead in my trespasses and sins. I need you to make me alive. I need you to call me from death into life. I'm, one day I'm going to die physically. I will have to answer for everything that I've ever done. I need you to wash me and cleanse me and make me whole again. If you pray some version 
of that prayer, God will answer that prayer. You will hear the voice of Jesus saying, My son, my daughter, come forth. Come out of your sins and out of your death into the world of forgiveness and light and joy and peace. In just a minute, I'm going to close this sermon with a prayer. And if you'd like, you can pray that prayer along with me. But if you need to use that time to pray a different prayer, why don't you do that now? Why don't you pray the prayer of a spiritually dead person asking Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, to give you life? He'll answer it. And the moment you receive him by faith, he will call you out of the grave. And the glories of resurrection life will begin right now. Let's go to God in prayer.